Welcome to Blooming Out, Indiana's only LGBTQ plus news and public affairs show featuring music, events, and interviews, both local and global. From the WFHB studios in Bloomington, Indiana, this is Blooming Out. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Blooming Out. I am Rachel Jones. I'm Kim Hahn. And I'm Alex Ashkin. Thanks for joining us for a new edition of Indiana's only queer public affairs radio show. We conveniently post to WFHB.org. So if you can't listen live, you can hear this and other episodes online via the WFHB website. Each and every week, we produce a show by and for the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and ally communities. Our listeners can always count on us to cover the most pressing issues, interesting people, and latest events reflecting on the LGBTQ plus life in Indiana, the U.S., and across the world. Our featured stories focus around topics both at home and abroad. We will be continuing our discussion regarding the hashtag MeToo social media campaign fallout as more prolific entertainment personalities have been accused of sexual harassment. We will take a look at the developments surrounding the case of comedian Louis C.K., who has recently addressed accusations of sexual misconduct with several professionals, professional contacts throughout his career. Our, tip, our second topic is an overview and discussion of the recent allegations regarding actor George Takei, who has been accused of potential sexual assault in 1981. And our last news story will take a look at the recently banned internet community, Insults, as they have removed from the Riddit.com discussion boards. Additionally, we are joined in the station by local transgender rights activist, LB, for the hour. We first, tu- we first turned to our investigation regarding the controversy of comedian, television producer, Louis C.K. We briefly mentioned last week that the New York Times published an article detailing the accounts of five women that tell of instances where C.K. abused a position of power to engage in sexual misconduct with the accusers. In cases beginning in the late 1990s, during C.K.'s tenure as a producer on The Chris Rock Show, and continuing for the next decade. Since the release of the New York Times article, C.K. has released a public statement confirming the allegations against him. He said, These stories are true. At the same time, I said to myself that what I did was okay because I never showed a woman my... Without... Okay, insert there, you guys. Without asking first which is also true. But what I learned later in life, too late, is that when you have power over another person, asking them to look at your junk isn't a question. It's a predicament for them. The power I had over these women is that they admired me and I wielded that power irresponsibly. So I think that... I think this is actually sort of like an interesting jumping off point because as we've discussed before, this has been coming up week and week with just different personalities, different people in politics, different people in entertainment. 
And it, to me, the most interesting thing is sort of how do people actually deal with this from a public relations standpoint? And so one of the interesting things to me is CK, whether or not it's good or not, has admitted to it. So in some ways there is some benefit to that, but as a whole, it totally does not excuse his actions. So there's that aspect to it. I think he was smart. Um, and, and maybe he's sincere uh, because I think he did more than admit to it. He owned it, but he also apologized. Um, he realized that he had power over people and that he misused it. And again, that does not make it okay, but it's certainly a different tact than Kevin Spacey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he didn't actually use the words, I'm sorry, or I apologize. That's Which is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder if he actually apologized to them individually. His, his statements were saying he realized he misused his power, but you're right, that isn't a direct apology, which is entitled more than that. Absolutely. And one of the biggest things I think that kind of results is this is just sort of his overall fall from uh, the current media landscape. As we've seen uh, over the past week, FX has dropped basically all content that is associated with Louis C.K. Uh, they ceased working yeah. with his production studio, Pig Newton, and uh, have so far caused a hiatus on several of the projects he's been producing, Better Things, Basket, One Mississippi, and The Cops. Well, yeah, you have to wonder... Um this all started with Harvey Weinstein, really, the coming forward of so many people that have exploited their power in a sexual way. One, how deep is this? I mean, I think it's prevalent everywhere. And what kind of a, a world are we going to have after the ramifications of what these people have done are laid out? It seems like... Well, it's exciting, I think, because people are getting held accountable. And then accusers are feeling like they can speak and be believed now. I always actually kind of find that an interesting comment because I think a lot of times, and especially in the past, we would always see some sort of like rhetorical argument of, oh, well, these victims might have something to gain from this or why are they speaking out now? And I think one thing that has changed compared to even, you know, six months ago as now is that there really has been sort of a cultural and rhetorical shift in how we as sort of a community throughout the U.S. uh, address, you know, sexual misconduct. I I think we're finally sort of hitting critical mass here. I do too, but but, but at the same time, you guys, what if, and I'm not saying Roy Moore is innocent, um, I have no idea, right? Um, But what if he is? I mean, the accusations about him doing misdeeds 40 years ago coming out right now before the election is pretty suspect at the same time if he did it it doesn't matter how long ago it was um um can i throw something in um, yeah absolutely lb um so 
when you say like you know it's kind of like suspect like here's this time here's this moment in time but i think sometimes people are moved by that moment in time like i haven't said anything and now they're going to be um uh he, he's running for a senate um you know what happens when they become a senator and you know then at that point maybe that's sort of like i missed my chance i should speak now because it'll make a difference totally valid yeah i agree so, sure there, yeah. there there is that yeah that level of speak now or forever hold your peace sort of yeah right so you get motivated by you know like if i don't say anything now i'm and i haven't said anything i need to speak up now well you know too it could be related to the harvey weinstein thing the me too now mm -hmm. people are actually feeling empowered enough to step forward and say this happened and i think that's really sort of I want to. I don't want to say the be all end all, but to a degree, we have to take each story as it comes and hope that you know the right people, the right you know authorities and uh, agencies that might be involved in such things actually do go through these investigations, because at the end of the day, it becomes sort of, do you care more about? you know, having a sort of a standard or some sort of, you know, expectation for people versus, you know, and just sort of winning ideological points for your side. Mm -hmm. And I mean, personally, I, I'm at the point where it's like, if it is as prevalent as it's sort of being indicated, I, I would rather have people clean house than to just sort of have everyone drag their feet and just say, well, there's nothing we can do about it. Um, I think I think the one, I think something that we're sort of talking about people that are at a higher level and we're sort of saying, okay, what about this issue? But talking about Me Too and talking about positions of authority and those dynamics in relationship to sexual assault and sexual abuse um, situations, um, you know, how many teenage girls working in a in a subway restaurant or something had an abusive boss or something or somebody who played games with them like mm -hmm. that or led to like sort of um, sexually inappropriate situations, you know? So it's, the, I, I think it's, it's not just the, the higher ups, it's, it's systemic to our, um, to our culture. Well, well, young boys too. Yeah, I mean, look exactly. At, look at, yeah. I don't want to bring the Catholic church into it, but clergy in general, this is a common common topic mm -hmm. yeah i mean even if we kind of look at this in a broader sense um like there are certain uh industries that might have more of a problem than others i've definitely heard especially when it comes to, to like food service sometimes it can be a little raunchy Okay, let's go ahead and now take a look at the newly publicized accusations of sexual misconduct on the behalf of actor George Takai. Takai, best known for his role as Hikaru Sulu on the legendary science fiction series Star Trek, has recently been accused by model Scott R. Brunton of potential sexual assault occurring in 1981. Brenton's accounts detail an instance when he, as 23-year-old, had become close with Takai, then 43 or 44 years old, shortly following a breakup with a significant other. He said one night Brenton decided to rest at Takai's residence after getting drinks together. Shortly after falling asleep, Brenton said he was awakened in a compromising position by Takai, who was positioned on top of him. 
Takei has been unavailable for public comment with regards to these allegations as he has been out of the country. Originally reported by The Hollywood Reporter, the accusations have been coordinated by four friends of of Breton. This has since sent some shockwaves through the U.S. LGBT community as Takei, over the past decade, has taken up the role as a public policy advocate for both LGBT rights and racial inclusion. Takei released a public statement on social media early Saturday. And so one thing that I actually really appreciate about comparing George Takei's uh, accusations and the way he handled it compared to some of these other groups is Takai was probably the most direct and sort of in a sense get, getting ahead of the accusations um, if you don't if you folks don't mind me reading off a little bit of his uh, mm-hmm. statement sure he, he said uh, the events he describes he being Brunton back in 1980s simply did not occur, and I do not know why he claimed them now. I've racked my brain to ask if I remember Mr. Brunton, and I cannot say I do. But I do take these claims very seriously, and I want to provide my response thoughtfully and not out of the moment. Right now, it is as he said, she said situation over alleged events over 40 years ago. But those that know me understand that non-consensual acts are so antithetical to my values and my practices, the very idea that someone would accuse me of this is quite personally painful. And frankly, that's sort of, to a certain degree, the best I think somebody can articulate that. Um, to be fair, we're talking about an event that happened in 1981, so 46 years ago, or excuse me, 36 years ago. Um, so, it, you know, is it possible that this happened? Yes. Is it also possible that George Takei forgot about it or, you know, doesn't remember it? Quite so. Um, I don't... Um, I. I don't see how someone could forget they did something like that if it is totally against their values. I mean, I, I think it comes to he said, he said as, as to whether he did or not. Um, I, I don't think you forget perpetrating something like that. I, I think one of the hard things that I have is um, George Takai is, is someone that's been an advocate for LGBTQ rights and he's been you know, on his Facebook, um, his memes and stuff that he posts and stuff. And, you know, we've, um, especially with this past election or something, we, like, re- I really looked at him and the things that he said, like, is kind of uplifting. And then, like, here's somebody sort of standing up for us. And then when you hear these allegations, whether or not they're true or not, it's still, it, it tarnishes that. And it's, I don't know, it's, I find it really difficult because there's people we hold up and then you find these things in their past and it's like, 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 what do I do now? Yeah. You know, you know, what's amazing about this, it's so relevant, I think, to the bathroom question as far as transgender. I'm scared to death to go to the bathroom in public um, because I'm afraid I will, one, scare someone just because I'm there or two, I'll be accused of something I didn't do. So you run in and you run out, and just the accusation 
whether there's truth behind it or not, could ruin somebody's life. Mm-hmm. This is serious stuff, you guys. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And honestly, that that's sort of the thing to me that's, LB, as you sort of said, a little disappointing in a sense or a little disheartening. Um, and I think at the end of the day, there's sort of a lot of complexity and nuance to all of us as individuals. And I'm sure this is one of those things where, you know, if he is, you know, able to somehow recollect it or, you know, the truth comes out that it didn't happen, you know, I, I'm really unfortunately think it does, you know, kind of leave a permanent stain on his, you know, public persona. Um, there's one thing I just want to say real quick, and I think um, when when somebody comes out that they were sexually assaulted or suffered exp- uh, sexual violence, um, I think it is important to believe them. Um, and and so I don't want to necessarily say that um, that I don't believe. Um, I think it's what's his name, Brunton. Mm-hmm. That's his um, last name, right? Yeah. Um, if he says that happened, we, I, I mean, from where I'm coming from, um, ethically, I have to, like, kind of accept that, um, which is hard because I don't want to think that of George Takai, but there's this allegation, or th- this person said this happened, you know, um, because all too often it's easy to dismiss somebody who comes out, and that's sort of been the history, and so I think it's really important that people get that benefit when they say that this happened that we have to operate from that, that that's a true statement. Uh, you know, that I love point-counterpoint, and I'll be devil's advocate because I think it makes for better topics. I totally get it. But what about innocent until proven guilty? I mean, what if he did not do this? And, and maybe he did. I'm not saying that. This is a, a total what if. What if he did not do this? And you're giving all your belief to the accuser. Um, or the victim. Absolutely. Well, right. Depends on, on, on where you're standing on this. Right. And victims may well be a better word, um, but I don't know. Okay. okay, folks, let's take a break. And tonight we feature Canadian electro-pop artist Grimes. Producer-songwriter Grimes has developed a sound that has garnered much attention in the electronic music genre. A lesser-known facet of Grimes' identity is the grown, growing role of intersectional feminism and queer advocacy. In an April 2012 interview with Dazed Magazine, Grimes whose real name is Claire Boucher, stated, I vibe in a gender-neutral space, so I'm kind of impartial to pronouns. And, I just want to be a human being. I don't want to have to be gendered all the time, and having the constant discussion about feminism really genders me and makes me just feel so much of something that I have never really identified with. So tonight, we will open with Genesis, off of the record, Visions. Mm-hmm. 
You are just listening to Genesis from Grimes. We now turn to our final story tonight. It is a short discussion regarding the internet news platform Reddit and its recent decision to ban more of its discussion boards, normally referred to as subreddits. Before we begin, we'll start with top of the hour station identification. You're listening to Blooming Out here on WFHB. This is listener supported WFHB, Bloomington, Bedford, Ellettsville, and Nashville. Community radio for South Central Indiana and online at WFHB.org. We have a few LGBT events coming up. First is Walking Together, the 2017 Quarryland Men's Chorus Winter Concert. It will be on Sunday, November 17th at 7 p.m. at the Buskirk Chumley Theater. For tickets, go to quarryland.org or check the BCT box office. Also, ND10, Black Lives Matter, ACLU of Indiana, and several other organizations are hosting Transgender Day of Remembrance. Monday, November 20th at 7 p.m. at the Indiana Historical Society in Indianapolis. The weather right now is 41 degrees Fahrenheit. Tonight, there's a low of 29. Tomorrow on Friday, it will be partly sunny with a high of 55. And Friday night, there's a 60 to 90% chance of rain with a low of 51. Saturday, 90% chance of thunderstorms with a high of 60. Now back to Blooming Out here on WFHB. The subreddit in question is incels, short for involuntary celibacy. The incels discussion board is known in the past for its extreme views on women, feminism, and was banned due to reports detailing calls for violence against women. So this, in a certain way, is near and dear to my heart only because I am a self-professed Redditor. Um, So I could kind of go on about this for a while. Um, Reddit is a very interesting uh, internet community or really collection of communities. Um, Honestly, I think it's a great tool online. Uh, It's one of my primary sources for news for this show even. But uh, sometimes these groups are, you know, I, I, I feel like the only word might be like deplorable maybe um uh it's been a interesting story to say the least about sort of how reddit as a company and a collection of online communities has evolved since its start in 2005 um i don't know a lot about this um uh, reddit too much i'm sorry i don't know a lot about reddit too much but um, just by this blurb here, it sounds really to me like kind of um, um, like that MGTOW, Men Go Their Own Way, or Red Pill type um, misogyny. Um, and I think kind of what Reddit's doing here is like um, not platforming them. And I don't know that I have a problem with that. Honestly, um, I think that's a lot of the overall sort of story um, because 
as the community has sort of evolved and become more accepted as a mainstream internet platform, especially for news, they've kind of had to tighten down on certain groups because it honestly like creates an unwelcoming environment for most users. I mean, we're, there's been dozens and dozens of bands over the years. Um, there was famously this uh, group that was like just I, I, I really can't even describe the groups because their names are you know not radio safe but you know a lot of them were unabashed hate groups uh, the one that I can speak to is uh, uh, fat people hate which was basically to identify, well, not identify, but to ridicule and threaten, you know, obese people. <laughs> and it's a little, you know, it, it, unsavory to say the least. I mean, and that's putting it lightly. Um, but really what ended up actually kind of being the straw that broke the camel's back with regards to incels is that on November 7th, uh, Reddit actually instituted a new anti-harassment policy. Um, and they actually specifically said that if a subreddit, you know, encourages or, you know, makes a direct call to violence against, you know, individuals out in the real world, they have to respond to that. The mod, the mod teams either have to remove the offending users or if they do not actually act on that, the community gets shut down, no questions asked. Um, I think it's really um, this this sort of t- this sort of topic um, for me. Like, it ties in really uh, well with like Banyan, 4chan, um, and the alt right um, anti women, anti-immigrants. Um, there's also a group called Kiwi Farms that like outs and doxes trans women. Um, and I just think um, from my standpoint, I see this as part of that. There's this huge online community that's been sort of an organizing, I don't say an organ, well they do use it for, to organize. Um, in Charlottesville they used um, a gaming platform to organize um, the, uh, the alt-right or use that to organize their protests um, against the removal of Confederate statues. So for me, this is like kind of a part of it. And a lot of people are kind of unaware how um, much this is connected. Um, anyhow, that's just kind of my, my viewpoint on it. Um, and I think it's kind of important to be aware of that and to be aware of the platforming that you're giving them by allowing them to communicate through that. It's not that they, their First Amendment rights are being violated. They just can't use that form. It's not like they can't get their own web server or whatever and do it on their own. Okay, folks, that wraps up our headlines. We'll come back with our interview with local activist Elby after a quick music break. Our second track for the night is Oblivion off of Grime's second album, Visions. Thank you. 
Welcome back to Blooming Out. You were listening to Grimes Oblivion off the album Visions. Let's now change gears as we welcome Elby onto Blooming Out. How are you today, Elby? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Rachel? Life's an amazing journey, honey. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're super thankful for you to be on and joining us today in the studio. Oh, no worries. I'm, um, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> um, so, LB, I, I'm just going to jump into it. Mm-hmm. Um, can we, can we kind of go back to your beginnings and what was it like, um, just your process of discovery and, and transition and uh, how, how did that all go for you, your history? Your oh. realization. When did you, when <laughs> okay, did you, thank when you. Did you first thank know? Thank you, Rachel. Oh, and did I first know that it was trans? Yes. Um, so when I was young, like four or five, I had lots of dysphoria about my genitalia. Um, and I often felt like I just didn't have the right pieces. Um, but it probably really wasn't until, um, I don't know, like 10, 11, that I really like wondered about it at times. And oftentimes I would like, Oh, like it's, I don't know, like a lot of trans folks have that sort of story. Like, you know, I said my prayers at night and I asked God, you know, when I wake up, I wish I was a girl, you know. Um, and that was kind of something that um, that I did too. Um, and then throughout a lot of my life, I, you know, as I got older and I like found books or medical journals and things describing these things, I would often read them and like, you, and I was really wondered like you know like hey this is something you know like could i change who i am could i you know uh instead i was assigned male at birth you know could i live life as a woman like other people are doing it this is the thing that could happen so but it wasn't until recently um i i um decided that that actually yeah that i could make that decision so it is about this time about two years ago that i actually started um my transition so, um, in large part, um, was that the social, the cultural climate has sort of changed. Um, one of the big, I, I was in the army. I, I, I'm like 48 years old. I joined the army at um, 41. Um, maybe perhaps it was a vision quest or whatever. But mm-hmm. when I got out, um, I was watching a lot of YouTube videos, and there was this pattern that I noticed that there was a lot of trans people who had been in the military, especially trans women, well, actually trans women and trans men, um, is sort of a way to either try to, you know, man up or in some way. And um, and it really clicked with me. And um, actually, there's a, uh, um, a woman, Staff Sergeant, um, oh, shoot, now I forgot her last name. Um, I think I want to say her last name is Price. Um, she is a uh, trans woman serving in the military in a infantry unit in um, in uh, Washington State, and she recently went underwent uh, gender reassignment surgery. But when her story started um, about about two two years ago, when I when I came out, um, she was in the news or whatever as being an out trans woman serving in the military. And it really, I wrote her, I wrote her a letter and friended her on Facebook, and it really had an impact on me and really helped me motivate to make this decision. And one of the things too was that the VA had gotten guidance to provide healthcare to trans folks. So to be able to transition, I was able to receive medical care, uh, hormones, and all that. And that was 
that was like huge because I, I didn't know how I could do it before. So that kind of in so, a little nutshell. So I just have a question. When you said that a lot of trans people join the military mm-hmm. to man up, what do you mean to, to try to be more masculine or yeah, what does well, that mean? Well, no, right. Yeah. So there's kind of, um, I've seen, I've heard stories where people are like, you know, I was fighting these feelings or whatever. I joined the military because I wanted to be hyper-masculine. I wanted to be the man's man. Okay. Um, as a way to sort of suppress or make those feelings go away. And oftentimes it's sort of um, it's sort of like a bandage. And maybe it lasts for a little while. But, you know, when you get out or while you're in, you're, you it keeps coming back. It doesn't, like, you, you keep thinking maybe you can make it go away, but it doesn't. And so ultimately you end up making that decision, you know, to transition or either try to live with it or some people just decide it's too much. So... It- if I understand correct, you mm-hmm. are still active in the reserve? Oh, no. Well, I am in the individual ready reserve. So when I joined, I did a uh, little under four years active duty. And then I had an additional four years of inactive ready reserve. So I have approximately a year, a little less than a year left. So technically, um, if for some reason there was a, a war with, I don't know, North Korea, um, I could get called up, yes. Okay, I, I, I'm really curious about your experience in the military. Um, one, now that you're still a little bit tethered, but what were your feelings when you finally came to grips with with this in the military? What um, discrimination did you feel? Did Obama's coming out allowing transgender in the military affect you? Um, right. So when I was in and serving, um, it was st- if um, I was ex- mo- exploring more of my feminine side of presenting as female um, in certain situations. Um, but when I was in, don't ask, don't tell had been repealed. But that only um, that was only relevant to. Um, being uh, uh, like sexual gay. orientation, yeah, right, exactly. And trans was trans being transgender or transsexual or transvestite. They had the kind of like some antiquated terms or whatever. But basically, I could have been kicked out of the army. So my exploration was kind of um, uh, I had to be careful, and and it kind of kicked in at one point in time where I was like, I can't, I can't do this. Somebody could find out, and then. I could be kicked out. So I curtailed that and thought that I would solve everything by sort of finding religion and getting married. <laughs> and um, that didn't really help ultimately. So, But while I was in the military, I was kind of exploring it, but nobody else really knew. And at some point in time, before I got out, I stopped doing that because I thought I could I, I could get kicked out and I get a uh, dishonorable discharge, which is like having a felon. So, and you have not had call to go back on base now that you have begun your transition. Um, actually, as a matter of fact, so being in an individual ready reserves, I am uh, checked on occasionally, and so when I, I knew that when I started to transition, that I'd probably have to have a conversation at some point in time. So um, there is a uh, non commissioned officer. Um, I think they're a sergeant first class or whatever that would check up on me or whatever and, and I told them and this was when things this was in the Obama administration and things were kind of changing and he's like oh don't worry about it. you know it's all changing this is all going to go through 
And then with the election of Trump, it changed. So, but recently, uh, about a couple months ago, I did go in and like updated with the army. I updated, I gave them my documentation that legal name change and um, and updated my uh, records and then also put in my medical paperwork or whatever that showed I was in this process of transition. But because of sort of the bureaucracy of the army, um, and by the time I got out, I I decided and to not pursue changing my gender with the army. So um, that's kind of where I stand right now. So legally, they know me as Alby, um, but legally, according with the army, I couldn't actually change my gender because there's a process to it. But you did start. Did you start taking hormones though when you were? Oh, now when I was no, them? I was out of the I was out oh. of the army, and about a year after I got out, I started. Um, hormones. I talked to my current partner at the time and told him I believed I was transgender and um, they said, oh, they would be there and support me and stuff. But like the relationship really wasn't um, healthy for me. And so, and, and, in, and in some ways transitioning, I felt like I needed to have my own space. And in some ways, sometimes we talk about like when you transition, you kind of have to be selfish because part of the reason you didn't transition was because you were worried about your kids, you were worried about your spouse, you were worried about your family, and so you didn't because you didn't want to hurt them. Yeah. So you hid it. And so for me at that point in time, I had to, I felt like I had to make that decision and I couldn't have somebody else there with me. So, which was um which was good. So, but I didn't start hormones until I was out um of the army about a year. So, about 2 years ago I started. So okay. you're actively involved, I know, in a local trans group. I'd love to hear more about what you guys are doing. Oh, and right. Please. Yeah. Um, so we have a group. Um, a couple of us um, sort of saw a need um, probably about November uh, of last year, around election time. Um, we were feeling a little bit. Music. Um, we were feeling a little bit like. Um, insecure about the political situation stuff so a group of us got together and we started a trans support group we meet we've been meeting every week um at the uh, monroe county public library and um there's a there's a core of us um probably about like i don't know maybe up to 10 people at any given point in time um we're also now part of um bloomington pride we're one of their programs um but we're known as uh task which is transgender and ally support community so our sort of our overview is uh trans inclusive uh non-binary gender fluid gender queer folks um significant others friends family and allies so um we've had parents of trans folk, uh, kids there um we've had um uh, spouses and so that's kind of what we we, we want to be like kind of a resource but our primary focus is to support each other um, and even if it's just two of us there, that's kind of, that's enough. So, mm. And if people would like to find that group, where would they find you? All right. So <clears throat> you can find our, we have a kind of a landing page uh, provided by um, Bloomington Pride on, on Facebook. And we have a web page. Basically, if you search trans, transgender allies and support community, mm-hmm you can get to the landing page and from there you can message us. We're a little bit careful about disclosing when we meet and um, where we meet and uh, because we want to kind of protect ourselves a little bit, but we want to make ourselves available. So that would be the easiest way. 
Okay, thank you. We will be returning to our interview with local activist Elby after a short music break from Canadian EDM wonderkind Grimes with Kill vs. Mame from Art Angels.
All right. Let's return back to our discussion with Albie. Okay. If I could just um, pop in and ask this question, Albie, um, because you lived for so many years as a man and it, and it sort of wasn't who you really felt. It's not what you felt like. What is it now like to live as a woman? Um, I think that's a, an interesting question. Um, I feel now like when I live, I use the term boy, but when I okay. lived as a boy, no, that's fine. When I lived as a boy, I mean, I was a man, but when I lived as a boy, um, um, I felt like I wasn't, I couldn't be completely me. And now I feel like I can be more completely me and express myself in a, express myself in a lot of ways that I couldn't before. Um, I mean, even some things is kind of like as mundane as like how I dress and, you know, and, and being able to, and it's not like that men can't show emotions, but I just feel more open with my emotions. Um, a lot of my friends say that I'm happier, you know, like I'm smiling, I'm happier more, I laugh more. Um, and I think because it's, I do feel more comfortable being completely me, if that makes sense. Mm. So yeah, it's, um, that doesn't really like address the question of like what it's like to live being li- having lived as a man to like kind of live your life as a woman then especially kind of so later in my life um but there is things that i noticed you know when we we're talking about the um the sexual abuse and stuff like with c uh ck whatever his name is i <laughs> um that i do see some of those i see those things like you know how Men are oh and how then, yeah how and then, a like, woman is treated yeah, versus how no, a man right, is treated yeah exactly um I see the differences in in how people would have communicated with me before and in how they talk to me now what what do you think is the difference um well or some of the differences you've noticed well I think one of the differences like um oh like I, I mentioned this on Facebook like so um where I work or whatever I had to uh, go over to the post office and I had a truck or whatever I was supposed to pick some stuff up. And, like, I went to go climb up on the dock, and the guy, like, reaches his hand down and like, helps me up. And then, like, I'm, I'm getting the things that I need, and he's like, oh, do you need help loading? And, like, um, when I, before, no, like, that would not have happened. And so that, like, they were being nice, but it yeah. was also, like, wouldn't you be nice to everyone all the time? You know, like, but there's a dis- difference because he wouldn't have done that if he just saw me as a man. If that makes sense. It's just those little things or whatever add up, you know, like you just notice those things. Have you experienced any regret from starting estrogen? Um, no, I can't say that I have. Um, Never go out as your former self? Oh, my God. <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't even know how. I would. No, <laughs> I couldn't okay. do that. Yeah. I mean, and I'll admit, like, um, because I was older, you know, I suffered some uh, pattern baldness. So, um, unfortunately, I have to wear uh, wear wigs. But, um, so that would be the big thing. Otherwise, I would, like, me going out as my former self would be, there is no, this is me. Mm -hmm. You know, so the only thing I would do would be, like, if I didn't wear my wig, which I can't even imagine, you know, I'd probably have to wear a hat or something. But, um, um, but... Yeah, I couldn't. Yeah, I don't even because that's really not me. I don't even understand. Like that is so foreign to me now, in a way, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Because that is just, I don't know what I would do. Like, how would I even? I, I like this is the way I talk. Like, I don't know. I have to change my, my voice back or something. I don't know, and I wouldn't. Know, 
I wouldn't know how to walk. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I, mean, I don't know how to put it. Yeah, yeah, it would just seem so alien. You had another group you wanted to mention that you're involved with? Oh, yeah. Um, and this is kind of something that we were talking when we were off air. But, like, um, being out as a trans person is sort of our way of advocacy. And one of the groups that I'm involved with is uh, ACLU of Indiana. Um, they have a pro, uh, uh, thing that they call... TEEP, which stands for Transgender Education and Advocacy Program. Um, and uh, uh, one of my uh, besties, uh, well, I guess she's a bestie, um, Kit Malone is involved with that, if some of you guys out there might know her. Um, but anyhow, one of the things that we did at the recent Pri- uh, Bloomington Pride event, um, I forgot what they call it, Pride Fest, um, we did a educational panel at the library, and there was a group uh, of us, and basically we shared our experiences of what it meant to be trans we had um uh two uh myself and another trans woman a trans uh, man and then um uh somebody who was two spirit and uh, we just talked about our experiences and what like who we were and and that's one of the things i think is really important for us to just be out there share who we are and people can see that that we're like regular people um you know we have jobs we have families um we're not scary people um but that's just a way that we can reach out show people who we are and so when time comes to like you know maybe vote on something they might remember that and think you know maybe have a little compassion in their heart and like and you know be supportive of the trans community absolutely i think we can always benefit from a little bit more compassion and understanding of one another and i think that's actually time for us tonight to start to sign off Thank you so much to all of our lovely volunteers at WFHB and our fantastic guest, LB. Blooming Out is produced by Alex Ashkin. Our executive producer is WFHB News Director Wes Martin. Jesse Grubb is our engineer for Blooming Out and WFHB. I am Rachel Jones. And I'm Kim Hahn. Tune in next week for a brand new Blooming Out every Thursday from 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. on WFHB, volunteer-powered community radio. Blooming Out, Indiana's only LGBTQ plus radio program, airs every Thursday evening here on WFHB at 5.30 p.m. You can also stream us 24 hours a day, seven days a week on WFHB.org or bloomingout.com. Thank you for listening. Please tune in again next week to Blooming Out.